The Gospel of John, chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. Your guests or visitor here today, a returning visitor. Thank you for being here at Heritage Baptist Church. We're honored that you'd come and worship the Lord with us here. We pray it'll not be your last time, and we pray that you'll be back with us again. John chapter 19. Members, I'm going to ask if you look around you, if someone next to you doesn't have a King James Version Bible, or just doesn't even have a Bible, would you share your Bible with them to help them find their place? And we're looking at uh, the first of two messages here from John chapter 19, and we're going to look at one particular character this morning that I pray will uh, kind of stir us a little bit in our mind and conscience in terms of our lives and decisions for Christ. John chapter 19, say amen if you're there. <clears throat> Verse 1, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him. Literally, they pummeled him. They hit him with their fists. They smashed him with an open palm. They smote him with their hands. Pilate, therefore, went forth again, and saith unto him, to them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know, which underline these words, I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robes. Bear in mind, Jesus, if you can imagine him, if you read Isaiah 53, you can comprehend this. Blood streaming down his face. Disfigured, beaten, if you understand what the book Isaiah, what the prophet Isaiah said and prophesied of it, perhaps even beaten beyond human recognition. And he said, behold the man. This is the man you brought to me. Look at him. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, there was no pity notice, no sympathy. But in their, their soul, in their chest, there's this rage, this anger. And vehemently they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, take ye him and crucify him. And notice these words again, for I find no fault in him. Our Lord, this morning we rejoice the powerful congregational singing this morning, the choir encouraging our hearts about the grace of God, and Jesus and his substitutionary death for our sins. Lord, we've been encouraged. We've been brought to the place of worship. But just for a few moments this morning, I pray that your people will hear from God. We've read your word. I pray those, that statement mentioned three times by Pontius Pilate. I find no fault in him. Burn away in our conscience. May it leave a permanent marker in our minds. 
a reminder of how great, how excellent, how worthy Jesus Christ is. Do something great in our hearts, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, we were in John chapter 18, and we saw the man Judas Iscariot, who is known in the Bible as a traitor, and how he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Today, I want us to see another man. His name is Pontius Pilate. Lord willing, next week, I hope to be again in chapter 19, and I want to take you through a panorama next Sunday on faces at the cross. And I want you to notice with me, perhaps because we've preached a little bit about Jesus and we'll get about his cross, his crucifixion, but I want us to also look at next week the faces of the people that were at, the, at, at Calvary on that particular morning. And today we, we're going to be looking at the trial that Jesus went through and uh, the man by the name of Pontius Pilate. We're going to do an expose on him. And uh, Pontius Pilate was uh, a man who was known here in the scriptures. He's called the governor of, of all of Judea. And he was a procurator, of, or procurator, that's another term to represent, that he was the little ruler, the little king of Judea. And uh, I want you to notice this morning as we read chapter 19, this is the man, this is the man who put his name on the piece of paper that represented the death warrant of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as you get to be an adult and you realize as you start putting your name on certain things, there's a little bit more of a, you become a little more conscious as you get older about what am I putting my name on and what am I signing off on and what am I doing? I remember when we, uh, agreed, to, we agreed with our banker for uh, our, our loan on this property for construction and so forth and I had to sign off on it and I started thinking, man, this is, this is a lot, you know, we're signing off on this and we've got to make this thing happen here. And, and uh, invariably you, like myself, there are things you've had to sign off on during your lifetime that you probably contemplate and wonder, what am I really signing and what are the implications of it and the risks and things of that nature. And we're looking today at a man who signed the death warrant that crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate was a very intriguing man, a very interesting man. Uh, Pontius Pilate asked some important questions. I hope that you're here this morning to ask some questions, but I hope that you'll find your answers well there too, amen? And uh, this man, Pontius Pilate, probably was as close to being in the, in, the, in the presence of Jesus Christ as anybody during his ministry, and this man was in the presence of Christ, and he asked questions like this. He said, Art thou then the king of the Jews? John 18, 33. He asked this question in John 18, 38, what is truth? He asked this question in Matthew 27, 22, what then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He asked this question in John 19, 15, because he didn't want, he didn't want the responsibility of signing off on this death. Well, I want you to understand as we read through this today, he didn't want that responsibility. And he said to the Jews, in fact, he wanted the Jews, the chief priest, he says, you take him, you crucify him. And then he goes back and asks this question in John 19, 15. He says, shall I crucify your king? Now, I, I want you to notice this morning that three times in Pilate's interrogation of Jesus Christ, three times in a very thorough question of Jesus Christ, he came to one conclusion. I find no fault in him. He said, I find no fault in him. He said, I find no fault in him. This morning, we look at this man, Pontius Pilate. If he found no fault in Jesus Christ, 
then why did he sign him over? And why did he, why did he commit to having that man crucified? We're going to look at that this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, this man, Pontius Pilate. I want you to consider the character of Pontius Pilate. We're going to start off a little slow and kind of, a, kind of a teaching time a little bit, and we're going to get into it and kind of bring some application. But I want you to notice, first of all, with me, the character of this man, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate originally was a native of Seville, Spain. He was, uh, he was uh, uh, descended from, uh, from Spain. He made his way down there in Judea. And uh, he was appointed, his, his office was one that was appointed by Rome. He's called, as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as all four of the Gospels have the record here of this man, Pontius Pilate, and the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. This man is known as the governor or procurator of all of Judea. He was in charge of it, pretty much, uh, if you would. And he was appointed by Rome. In his name, a procurator or governor, sometimes he was considered the little king, being a small representation of, Jew, of, of Augustus Caesar here. Now, some of the things in terms of how he got to that place, being coming down from Seville, Spain, some of it was this man was a politician as early on as he could be. He married into the family of, of the Caesars. He married the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus. Her name was Claudia Procula. And if you ever have time to study the life of Pontius Pilate and uh, Claudia, his wife, who her name is not mentioned here, but we know her name from history, and to study about her mother. In fact, her, her father disowned uh, her, his, his, uh, her, her, her father disowned his own wife because of just how evil this woman was. And so some of this poured over in Claudia's life. But he married into the family, and because of that, uh, being married into the family, it kind of elevated his presence and his opportunity of, being, of going ahead. And this man was an opportunist. He wanted to get ahead, politically speaking. And he wanted to get ahead in the kingdom. And probably there was nothing that he wanted more than anything else than to be a governor, to be over an entire city and you know, over an entire province if you would, as the governor there representing Rome because he represented Rome in that context there. It, by, by every word of the description, this man was a politician, but he was cruel, he was brutal, he was wicked. In fact, you might want to mark in your notes this morning in Luke 13, 1, it tells us one of the first mentions there of Pontius Pilate. It says that Pilate mingled the blood of the Galileans at their, at their sacrifices. And what it means there by that, that some of the Galileans were at that time were worshiping God in one of their synagogues. And for whatever reason, he was upset with the Jews. And he sent a, a delegation of soldiers down there. They killed some of these Galileans during the time of their sacrifice. And the Bible describes it that, that he mingled their blood with their sacrifices, their altar were stained, if you would, with the blood of those people there. Uh, this man, was, was, he thought nothing of murder. He thought nothing of killing people. He thought nothing of cruelty and hatred. The Jews hated him, and he hated the Jews. Some things you can take note of there. There was one time when he made a, a visit. In fact, it was his first visit to Jerusalem. That as his soldiers entered into Jerusalem, they carried these big banners. And of course, you have to remember the Jews were no, were no fans of Rome. They despised Rome. And that's why they were hoping that Jesus would be a political king and, instead, and could never grasp the fact that he did, not come, he did not come as a political king. He came as a spiritual king to deliver them from their sins. But they couldn't get their minds and their hearts around that. And as, 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 as uh, Pontius Pilate's men made their way to Jerusalem, they were carrying these huge banners and had the name emblazoned on it, Tiberius, which they hated to hear that, of Tiberius Caesar there. And they were very angry with that. And, and because of that, there was some protests and antagonism towards those soldiers. That didn't sit very well with Pontius Pilate. And as these protests went on, he attacked them with rashly and with much savagery, killing many, many Jews at that time. On another occasion, he invaded their treasury. 
He went right into their treasury where they collected their tithes and their offerings. And they had their storehouses there, which Malachi talks about. They had their storehouses there. And he tacked it. He went inside there and pilfered and robbed their treasuries of their money, taking the money out there to purposely build his aqueducts. They had raised the funds through taxation. They had the funds in their treasury. But just to do spitefulness to the Jews, he went inside their tent treasury, which was known as Corbin. He went inside there, raided it, stole their money, pilfered things of that nature. You can imagine this man, Pontius Pilate, was not much in well favored with the Jews. And yet we find this man, we find this man having a prominent part with the Jews coming to him <laughs> and seeking his help and getting Jesus crucified. On another occasion we read where in history, historically, that Pontius Pilate wore a ring and on that ring was inscribed in it, the friend of Caesar. And we see that how prominently that plays out in this passage of scripture. Everything by the word speaks to us about a man of a character who is very low in character. Hey, listen to me this morning. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is what you really are. May I encourage us this morning as the people of God, as people visiting here and worshiping God, the most important thing you represent for God is your testimony for Jesus Christ out in the world. I encourage you to have a good testimony. I encourage you to be blameless before men. I encourage you even as sometimes people may say bad things about you that you live for Jesus Christ. You might be in a home where there's opposition to your faith. And you may be in a place where Derogatory things are said about, your, about you. And you may have to take a stand like one of our families did recently as they had a loved one pass away that went home to be with the Lord, a, a man that we had led to Christ. But this member of our church is probably the only one in the entire family that is saved and knows Jesus Christ as Savior and for over 10 years has been in this church, maybe 12, 13 years, has been in this church living for God and has stood in the face of opposition and persecution, verbal abuse by their family, rejection and all, all that. And sometimes maybe you might be just in that similar situation, but I'm going to encourage you to have character. I want to encourage you to have a life that is impeccable, that represents Jesus Christ in its fullness. I call your attention this morning for every Christian today to 1 Timothy chapter 4, because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young pastor who was struggling about his identity in the ministry, and, and is struggling in terms of the community, the city of Ephesus where he was in, and uh, people were just, he was facing the pressures of being a young pastor, not really having, uh, really knowing what to do, and not having much experience along the way, and just rely upon the teaching and wisdom that the Apostle Paul gave him. And Paul told this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, let no man despise thy youth. Let me say, young people, maybe adults will look at you and say, well, you don't have experience, and look how young you are, and uh, you've made this mess here, and you don't have a 4.5 average in school and all these kind of things. But I remind you, young people, let no man despise thy youth. And I remind you today, Christian, you might be young in the faith, and you may not even know all the 66 books of the Bible or the order of those books of the Bible, and you may not really even know who David is from Moses, you're not really sure of all the miracles of Jesus Christ, and you're not really certain how many books uh, of the New Testament the Apostle Paul wrote, I will tell you this morning, though you don't know those things right now, the day will come when you know it, but I want to encourage you today, no matter who you are, where you're sitting, live for Jesus Christ. Have a good testimony for the Lord. Parents, your children in a public school system, have them in that school setting. Have a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be working in a work environment when things are rough and things are tough, I want to encourage you to live for Jesus Christ and have a good testimony. Some of you might be business owners and some of you might be managers and supervisors and people of authority where you're at. I would encourage you this morning to don't abuse or misuse your authority, but be thou an example of the believer. And I like what Paul said here to Timothy. Notice in 1 Timothy 4.12, he said, Lo, no man despise thy youth, 
but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in parity. And I want to give you one word to summarize all that. Be an example of the believer in terms of your character for Jesus Christ. Be a man or woman of character. Have character in your life. Have some resolution. Have some resolve. Hey, say, I'm not going to quit easy. I'm going to stay at things. I'm going to have a good testimony for Jesus Christ. This man, Pilate, he stayed in office because it was the money. He stayed in office because of the re- reputation it would give him that he was in control. He was in office because he had married into the family. But I remind you this morning, you have a family that's much greater than any family. You're part of the family of God. You're a child of God. You ought to exalt Jesus Christ and say, God bless God. I may not be nothing in this world, but I'm something in the world to come because I'm a child and a son of Jesus Christ. Amen. I noticed the second thing this morning about this man. This man was a man of low character, but I want you to see something else. Now we get into this man. I want you to consider the cross-examination this man did. I want you to notice how Jesus was judged by him and the Jews. I want you to notice the cross-examination. You see that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken... They had 600 men that came with Judas Iscariot to came and take him captive. I mean, can you imagine? Here is the lowly Jesus, humanly speaking, dressed in servant clothing, if I can say that. And they didn't look anything like someone that was a threat to anybody else there. And they had to take 600 men to bring him in there. And it was at nighttime. And they did what we would call in our English terminology a kangaroo session, a kangaroo court session. A kangaroo court is where they're not following the laws. Some They're just trying to find someone guilty of something. And basically, in days gone by and the kangaroo court happened. They basically did that to take someone. They wanted to make a scapegoat and put a put a hangman's noose around them and hang them. And Jesus was the victim of a kangaroo court. I want you to understand as we look at this this morning, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was the victim of an unjust trial. Now when we look at that, please consider this. God's will is unfolding and the hand of God is being allowing this to happen because Jesus came for one reason, that he might die for your sins and mine. And he had to go through this process for you and me. And I want you to understand as Jesus is going through this trial process. I want you to think with me for a moment of the humiliation. And I want you to think with me of how he was, all the derogatory things that were said, and how those men manhandled our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand something today. Jesus was not just a a pushover type of man. I mean, he was a man's man. Amen? I mean, he was a man's man. He grew up in a carpenter's home. He knew how to use a saw. He knew how to use a hammer. He knew how to build things. He was a man who was sinewy and straight. He was a man of great endurance. He would walk many miles and go different places. He didn't have public transportation those times. But Jesus was the man of men in terms of men. Listen, men, you want a character to study. You want a man to study. You need to study our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a real man. He was the man, the real man. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ was God's man. Amen. When we look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they take him, they bind him with cords, they bring him before Pontius Pilate. And before they did that, the Jews took him. Would you notice in chapter 18? This kangaroo court session Caiaphas had talked about in in John chapter 11. He said, one man's got to die for the nation. And Caiaphas, the high priest, one of several high priests at that time, had already determined his heart. We're going to get Jesus. We're going to take him. And we're going to crucify him. And so they brought him to the home of Annas, who was his son-in-law. Annas, the high priest. You'll notice up here in verse 19, chapter 18. The high priest then asked Jesus what you notice is of disciples and of his doctrine. We're not just going to get you. We're going to get everybody who believes on you. By the way, if someone 
Jesus is on trial right now. Thank God he's not. Amen. He's already died for our sins. But if he was on trial right now, what would he say about us as his disciples? They asked him about his disciples. They asked him about his doctrine. Hey, he'd been there three years. Don't you know what he taught? Don't you know what he's all about? And they, he answers them. Notice that it's just, you, you notice how it's only Jesus could answer them this way. He said, look, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews have always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Listen, you've had two years to evaluate me. Two and a half years. I mean, I've been in your temples. I've been in your synagogue. I've taught the word of God. I've, I've done all these works. I've done all these. And he says, I've done nothing in secret. I mean, don't you know what I'm all about? Don't you know who I am? It kind of bothers me a little bit sometimes as a preacher of the gospel. You can preach the word of God, and somebody could come from one year, two years, and three years, and four years, and five, and six years. And they say, I get nothing out of the message. Hey, listen, if you get nothing out of the message, it's not because of the word of God. It's because you're not listening to God. The Bible says, verse 22, when he had thus spoken, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm. Imagine that man standing before our God in heaven, having struck Jesus on the face. Answers thou, the high priest so. Hey, did they not know that the great high priest was standing before them right then and there? And Jews were exasperated with him. The Bible says in verse 24, Annas had sent him bound into Caiaphas, the high priest. We scroll down and Pilate comes into the picture. You see, the Jews were doing a trial at night. It was illegal to do a nighttime trial. They were breaking laws. Let's find him guilty. Let's just get him to say that he's the son of God so we can accuse him of blasphemy. But listen, it was near Passover. And the Jews did not want on their hands the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They held a kangaroo court to say, we're going to find him guilty. So then we're going to turn him back over to Rome and let Rome deal with him. And let Rome decide what his fate would be. And let his blood be on the hands of the Romans. You'll notice those preceding verses we just read that everything about this court, this kangaroo trial, was all one-sided against Jesus Christ. The Bible says in chapter 18, verse 28, we see Pilate before Jesus. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment. I want you to underline that this morning. The judge of all the earth was being judged by his own creation. The Bible says it was early. The Jews had tried him in their kangaroo court. They just determined their mind. It doesn't matter what he says. He's guilty as far as we're concerned, but we're not going to want to pass the final judgment on him. And the night has passed by, and dawn is starting to come, and they, 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 they send Jesus now to punch his Pilate. The Bible says in verse 29, Pilate went out unto them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? Now, they got him up early. They got the governor up early that morning. He said, okay, what's the deal here? Because remember now, remember the background I gave you. The Jews did not like Pilate, and Pilate did not like the Jews. 
He's wondering, what is all this commotion? Because normally you wouldn't bring something of this nature to me. What is this all about? And they bring Jesus before him. And now Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And this kangaroo court session is going, still going on. And they said to him in verse 30, they answered and said unto Pilate, if he were not a malefactor, they already passed judgment on Jesus. If he were not a criminal, if he were not a malefactor, well, uh, he, they said, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then Pilate said unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. Now Pilate saw what was going on because Passover is coming by and he didn't want to get the Jews all riled up and he didn't want to have more trouble with Rome if he, if he killed more Jews there. And he says, hey, look, you brought him to me. I'm giving him right back to you. Hey, can I tell you something? You can't, you can't, you can't be indecisive about Jesus. You've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Amen. You've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. You can't push him off to your mother, and you can't push him off to your father, and you can't push him off to your children, and you can't push him back up to your parents. Hey, you've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. The Jews came back. Notice these conniving Jews in verse 31. They said, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. What you notice is... Pilate enters into the judgment hall, and he's sitting on a judgment seat. And question number one, he asks, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate had been around enough. I mean, he had his ear to the ground, and he knew what was going on in that area that he had jurisdiction over. He was not an ignorant ruler. I mean, he knew what was going on, and he'd heard, the, he'd heard all this murmuring and things that the Jews were saying, that he calls himself the king of the Jews. And so he goes to Jesus, are you really the king of the Jews? And he's thinking, I, I'll get him. If he says he's, a, he's the king of the Jews, then he's in opposition to Rome. And if he's in opposition to Rome, then I can easily just say, you're, you're, this, is, this is insurrection, this is rebellion, this is treachery. I'll declare you a traitor, and I can put you to death right then and there. But notice this here. He says, art thou the king of the Jews? He was looking at Jesus for a political king. He was looking for an earthly king that would accomplish some man's goal and some man's objective. And what you notice, Jesus answers, sayest thou this of thyself, and did others tell it to thee? Hey, listen, you've got to come to a conclusion about Jesus Christ by your own reading, by your own study, by listening to the Word of God. You can't be someone that's always spoon-fed over and over again that you're, you're basing your decision and belief upon what others say. Now, when you start out, that's important. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But there comes a time, brother and sister in Christ, there comes a time, adult uh, man, an adult woman and child here today, there comes a time you've got to search the Scriptures for in them are truth. You've got to know who Jesus Christ is, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable to his death, Philippians 3.10. And so Jesus answers him. He says, well, uh, Pilate said, well, am I a Jew? Thy own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? He said, what did you do? These people are so mad at you. Would you notice Jesus gives to Pontius Pilate in verse 36. Don't miss this, please. He gives to Pontius Pilate his, his mission statement. Do you know your mission statement as a believer? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're saved? Do you know why God's kept you here? I like Mrs. Schmidt, old Mrs. Mark Schmidt. He's, she's been in our church since 2005, 2006, something like that. And uh, whenever I visit her and see, she's about 93 years of age now. And she said, Pastor Fong, good seeing you. Well, guess what? I'm still here on this planet. God must want to do something with me still. Amen. And I remind you this morning, God has you and me on this planet because God still wants to do something with you yet. Amen. And you'll notice here, Jesus answers in verse 36. Uh, he says here, my kingdom is not of this world. And listen very carefully because he's differentiating himself from everything that's been said about him. He wasn't there as an earthly king. He's a spiritual king. Amen. 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. And he said that I may not be delivered to the, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from me. Now Jesus declaring his deity. He says, yes, I'm a king, but I'm the king of heaven. Yes, I'm king, but I'm the king of the ages. And yes, I'm king, but I'm king of a spiritual kingdom. And I want you to know, if, I, if this were my kingdom right now, my subjects would come and they would have defended me. Hey, I want you to know Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him from all the hands of those wicked people, but he didn't do so. Why? Because Jesus came for one reason. That was to die for your sins and mine. And so he's going through this trial, and Pilate's still trying to interrogate him. Pilate's trying to find something that he's going to say that's going to incriminate him. He says in verse 37, Art thou a king then? Well, Jesus just told him he was king. He was a spiritual king. And Jesus just told him he's the heavenly king. And Jesus just told him he's the king of the ages. And Jesus just told him he's the king of the universe. And Jesus just told him, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. So that one statement, he said, Art thou a king then? But you notice his mission statement in verse 37. Thou sayest that I am a king. Would you notice this? To this end was I born. I should bear witness unto the truth. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. In that one statement, Jesus Christ is declaring his deity. To this end I was born. He's declaring in his birth, his birth into this world. It was a virgin birth. It was a sinless birth. I want to remind you this morning, even though it's not Christmas time, thank God for the virgin birth of our, Jesus, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God that, that he's virgin born, that there is no earthly father. There's no contamination of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without a virgin birth, we couldn't have a sinless Savior. Without a sinless Savior, we couldn't have a sinless death. Listen, if he was born of a man, natural man, just like you and me, his death could not atone for your sins and mine. And I want you to understand, Jesus Christ is holy, harmless, separate from sin. He's the Son of God without sin at all, without his blood. To the sin was I born. And notice, for this cause, what you notice, came I into this world. In this word, he talked about his humanity, but he talked about his deity. Here, here's why I mean, I came into this world. He left heaven's glory to came for you and I. And so now Pilate is bother in his heart as we'll see because the lord is speaking to him and listen when the word of god speaks it bothers you in your heart it pricks you in your conscience and Pilate is bothered notice the question Pilate asks here he says then what is truth now remember jesus is the one going through cross-examination but in reality jesus response to Pilate was examining was examining the conscience and putting Pilate on trial would you notice something here Pilate was supposed to be the one in control. Jesus is the one who's in control. I want to tell you, there's nothing that's, your life may feel like it's spinning out of control, but Jesus is always in control. You might feel like things are out of your grasp, but I'll remind you this morning, Jesus, his hand is bigger than your hand and mine. He's in control. He's not sweating. He's not anxious. He's not worrying. Jesus is in control even in his own trial. Pilate asked the question of Jesus. What is truth? A man who is used to lying and deceit and chicanery and fraud and deceitfulness If all you know are lies, that's all you live. He looked at Jesus Christ and said, what is truth? And brother and sister Christ, I want you to understand this morning, he was looking truth right in his face, amen? 
Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is the Word of God. Truth is the fact that Jesus came to die for our sins. Hey, truth is absolute and unchanging. The kingdom Jesus represented was a kingdom of truth. Listen, thank God there's nothing dark about heaven. And thank God there's nothing untruthful about heaven. Heaven is just exactly as he who made it. It's all truth for you and I. We go through life wondering as we read contracts, we read statements, we read all these wonderful things. We think, okay, is there truth in all this? I want to tell you this morning, you want to know what truth is? Here is truth right here. This is truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Pilate's bothering his conscience. Would you notice verse 38? Some think when he asked the question, what is truth? He was doing in a mocking manner to Jesus. Some think that he had a, just kind of a, he blanked out in his mind. But as he considered the statement of our Lord and Savior, that he didn't represent himself as a militant king. He didn't represent himself as a traitor, as an anarchist, or anything of that nature. He spoke about his kingdom. He spoke about his deity. He spoke about his purpose. He spoke about that. And what the, what the, only, the only the Lord Jesus Christ could do, and the way that only Jesus Christ could do this. These words are, sift, are going deep into Pilate's heart. And he asked this question, well, then what is truth? But he didn't wait for an answer because it dawned in his mind. I believe as we read the scripture, it dawned in his mind. He's looking right at the truth. He's facing it. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're not saved, you're looking right at the truth. Not at me. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he answered his own question. Notice verse 38. The first of three times. And when he had said thus, notice he didn't ask, wait for an answer. He went out again into the Jews. He said to them, I find in him no fault at all. I want to give you a secret this morning. Did you know Pontius Pilate found the truth? He's facing the truth. The truth is this morning, every man, woman, boy, and girl must be born again in order to enter into the family of God. The truth is God's wrath must be poured on sinners for being born in this world with a sinful nature. The truth is Jesus is God come in the flesh to take your place and mine on the cross to be our substitute and sacrifice of our sins. The truth is you must be born again and enter, to enter into the kingdom of God. The truth is God loves you and he wants you to be saved this morning. The truth is God wants every one of his children to live for him and to exalt him and to worship him. Thank you for being in church this morning. Good filled house of God's people. And if we brought everybody back in with all the service. We'd just be about completely filled here. Thank you that you're here this morning. But I want to tell you today, we're not here to be entertained. We're here so that God can speak to us. And through his word, he can build us up in the word of his grace and give us something to realize we hold something that the world doesn't have and we have something the media cannot give you you and I, I'm going to tell you this morning what we have is the Lord Jesus Christ here and so notice this man punches Pilate he cross examines Jesus and notice in chapter 19 he comes to a conclusion 
We see his character. We see his cross-examination. We see his conclusion. And he rises at this verdict three times. He says three separate times. Notice beginning in chapter 18, verse 38. I find in him no fault at all. I've, I've heard everything that's been said about him. I've heard what you said about him. I've looked at all these. I've, I've, I've asked him myself. I've cross-examined, and I find no fault in Jesus Christ. A man by the name of Josh McDowell wrote a book entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And Josh McDowell went on, was a man who just believed in his heart that Jesus Christ was not real. He did not accept the veracity that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Until one day as he kept arguing, debating, someone challenged him. They said, Josh, why don't you go out and study for yourself about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And why don't you go out to yourself and study about his life? And Josh McDowell took up the challenge thinking that he would find all this documentation, evidence to prove that Jesus Christ was a fraud and uh, wasn't really what he was. And as Josh McDowell started studying, studying the Word of God, and he started reading the correlation of Scripture, and he started reading the history books and everything, he came to one conclusion, I find no fault in him at all. And this man here, this man comes out to the Jews and says, I don't find any fault in him. And he says, listen, you have a custom that I should release him unto you at the Passover. So he's thinking, now here's how I get Jesus off my hands because I don't want to be bothered. He says, you have a custom right now. It's, it's Passover time. And so because I found no fault in him, you have a custom. You want one man delivered to you during this time. So how about this? You, you've already incriminated Jesus. You've already decided he's a criminal. You've already decided he's worthy of crucifixion. I'll tell you what I'll do. How about I just give him back to you? I'll let him go. You let him, I'll let him go. I'll send him back to you. And here's what they said. He offered them to take Jesus back, but in the, the rage and the hatred they had towards Jesus Christ, notice what happens here. And going back to chapter 18, he says, You have a custom that I should release unto you, one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. I want to understand at the very first time that Pilate, Pilate found no fault in him. He said, Listen, I'll, do you want Jesus? You want Barabbas? And Barabbas was a notorious criminal. And Barabbas was known as a criminal. And he was known as a murderer. And he was known as a thief. He was known as a very terrible man. And the name Barabbas sent chills up their spine. I mean, there were Jews in town that were thankful that Barabbas was in jail. And there were Jews in town that were thankful that Barabbas could, was to be crucified. And he was waiting. In fact, he was supposed to be the, one of the three men on the cross at that day. Would you rather have Jesus or would you rather, rather have Barabbas? And listen, you know what the people said? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They said, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer, not the maker. Give us the murderer. Give us the criminal, not the Christ. They said, give us, give us, give us this man who, who, is, who is a liar. And instead of giving us the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine? The people didn't want Jesus. They wanted a murderer instead. Hey, listen, things are not too much different today. Because today, if you ask the average Christian, do they want Jesus? They want the world more than they want Jesus. And they want their money more than they want their maker. And they want their gold more than they want God. And they want, the, they want their career more than they want their Christ. They want their job more than they want Jesus. But I'm going to tell you this morning, for every blood bought, Son of God and child of God today. We ought to sing with that word. Uh, adopt the words of the songwriter, right? What he wrote when he said, oh, Give me the world, but he said, Take the world, but give me Jesus. And so they said, Give us Barabbas. He's perplexed. Now I want to remind you that Pilate held in his power the ability of saying, No, I won't. And so now we go to chapter 19, we see the second time he comes to conclusion. He says, okay, I, I, I've got to come with another way because Pilate, Pilate's thinking in his mind, I've got to get the man, this man's blood off my hands. I don't want to be guilty of condemning an innocent man to death. And so, you know, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll scourge this man. 
Now, basically, he issued condemnation on Jesus. He said, I'm going to treat you just like a criminal. I'll scourge you. And if you know anything about scourging, we've said this many times from the pulpit, scourging was a Roman way of beating a man with, 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 with a whip. The Roman cat of nine tails. And they would beat him 40 times on his back, and they'd have these strips of leather on a club. As they beat him with these little balls on it and little fragments on it and sharp fragments, as they beat the individual, they would tear his back to shreds. Notice chapter 19, verse 1. Then Therefore Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. He gave him over to the soldiers. He said, okay, listen, you go scourge him and you go beat him up. And in Pilate's mind, he was thinking, if I beat him up enough and I, and I beat him to a pope, then when I represent him to the people, maybe they'll have some sympathy and realize they made a mistake and they'll let him go. You see, remember now, Pilate had no sympathy for people and he had no sympathy for the Jews and certainly he had no sympathy for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He thought if I can tear his back to shreds and beat him to a pulp I'll get away with it. So he turns him over to the soldiers and I want to remind you behind the scenes and all of this going on in the darkness and the wee hours of the morning Satan is energizing these soldiers and Satan's energizing these chief priests who weren't saved and Satan's energizing this mob mentality of all the Jews to beat up the Lord Jesus Christ. They said here is our opportunity, here is our time to take Jesus and put him to death. Even the demons themselves they believe if we can put him to death, we'll put an end to all this matter of salvation. We'll put an end to the washing away of sin. And so this, this frenzied mentality first envelops, it gets inside the mind of the soldiers, and they beat his back to a shred. And then notice verse 2, and the soldiers took him, and they took some thorns, and they made a crown out of it, and they platted it on his head. I want to understand the, the Bible in describing makes it a little bit more palatable for us to accept than it is. When they took the crown of thorns, they didn't just put it on his head, they thrust it on his head. One of our ladies made a crown of thorns, I think we have somewhere here, that to be used in sermon illustrations. I want you to understand, even to hold a crown of thorns was very difficult without pricking your finger somewhere. The other day, we, I forgot which, which wedding it was. One of our weddings, the, the um, customer at our weddings, the, the groom and the, the bride, they, they like to give flowers to acknowledge your parents. They had some beautiful roses on both sides. In this particular marriage, I, I said to them, I said, okay, on the first presentation, I'll, 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 get, I'll get the roses and I'll present them. I'll give it to you so you can bring it down so you don't have to reach over. And I forgot that these were roses, and uh, I wasn't thinking that the thorns had been clipped off. And as I reached down, I, my, my thumb, I pierced a major thorn inside my thumb. And I said, okay, don't say ouch right now, you know. So I went, <clears throat> oh, man, you know. And blood was coming on my thumb. I just kept holding it the whole time during the whole wedding. So if you were watching me that wedding, it was like this the rest of the time. I didn't open my hand up for the rest of the, the, the wedding ceremony. Just even to hold the crown of thorns was difficult. These ruthless, cold, callous, hardened soldiers. The devious mind to make a crown of thorns. What kind of man would make something like that? They take it in rested on the head of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it goes, gets even worse. They've beaten his back. They put the crown of thorns on him. They mocked him by taking a robe of purple. And I'll say more about this next week, but they manhandled Jesus. The soldiers pushed him off each other. I want you to say, he couldn't even stand. You wake up in the morning, you got a, you got a bad back. That doesn't even come close to what he had. 
He had more than a bad back. He had a, his back was torn open. Can you imagine the flesh being torn away on multiple layers? Can you imagine even his organs being exposed? Just trying to get up because he was a man's man, he got up and just, can you imagine just the agony? Blood pouring out of those wounds and the robe being put on his back. Just the touching of the, the robe making contact with his back. Can you imagine the pain that he went through? And then, can you imagine how, how he winced with pain as the crown of thorns was thrust on his head? And then to make things worse, as he's bent over, he's hurting. I mean, he endured all this for you and me. These soldiers manhandled our Lord, and they pushed him off to each other. And after a little while, pushed out. The next time he got pushed, one of them would hit him in the face. Another one hit him in the face. Another one hit him on the face. They hit him with the open palm. They just beat our Savior, Jesus. Notice verse 2. It says, they kept doing that. Finally, they started mocking him. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. They bring him back to Pilate. This is all inside the praetorium. Where Pilate had his hall of judgment. Roman generals and soldiers would assemble and do their thing there. Jesus, who stood before Pilate erect, minutes before, would you imagine bending over a little bit, blood streaming down his face, according to Isaiah chapter 50, unrecognizable. Some of those cruel soldiers grabbed him by the beard, and as they did so, maybe they held on to one thing with the robe, and they ripped chunks of hair out of his face. They pushed him back off. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I have to imagine if you had any humanity in you, even Pilate looked at him and says, what a disgusting sight. How awful. What you notice Pilate did? We're still not done with his conclusion. He said in verse 4, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. He found no fault in his deity. He found no fault in his doctrine. He found no fault in the fact that he was beaten here and cried out, didn't cry for help or anything of that nature. He says, listen, we've beaten him. Can't you have some sympathy? Don't you even care? And notice the Jews came out again, and they, he said he came out to them, and he's wearing this crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, behold the man. He's thinking they'll get some sympathy. And notice the Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And once and again, the third time, Pilate says, you take him. You crucify him. Or find no fault in him. You see, Pilate had beaten Jesus, he interrogated Jesus, he brought him out, and he's perplexed, he's flustered, because he doesn't want to be guilty of passing judgment on Jesus Christ. He says, I find no fault in him. To remind you this morning, as we look at the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his ministry, I find no fault in him as well. 
I find no fault in the fact that he's the holy son of God. I find no fault in the fact that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I find no fault in the fact that he's the bread of life for every sinner. I find no fault in the fact that he's living water for every man that's thirsty. I find no fault in the fact that Jesus had to die by death of crucifixion, that he had to shed his blood on the cross for every sinner. I find no fault in the fact that our Savior three days later would rise again from the dead victorious. Listen, this morning, you might find a fault with something with Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, according to the Scriptures, we'll find no fault in him. I find no fault in his perfect will for every Christian. I find no fault in the fact that his word changes lives. I find no fault in the fact that he's determined that the local New Testament church is the means by which the gospel goes out and is to be propagated around the world that sinners can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I find no fault that Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He's one who loves you. He's one who forgives you of all your sins. He's one who's merciful and one who's gracious. Listen, maybe you find fault in something Jesus did, but I'm going to tell you this morning, if you get into the Word of God and you study His life, you'll come to one conclusion. I find no fault in Him at all. He's altogether lovely. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's God incarnate. He's tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. There's no fault in Him. Pilate came to conclusion, but you notice a tragedy by Pilate. I'm almost done. But you notice Pilate concedes to the Jews, the conceding of Pilate. Verses 7 to 16, I need to move quickly. Verse 7, they said, <coughs> we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Verse 8 is very troubling because the Bible says, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid. Why? Because he was convinced in his mind from everything he heard from Jesus, he is the Son of God. By the way, he still is the Son of God. Amen? He was more afraid. The moment of truth had now come to punch his pilot. I remind you this morning, you can put off the decision about accepting Christ. And you can put off what he's saying. But the moment, the moment of truth is going to come. You, you, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? His very first question he asked the Jews, what then should I do with him that is called the Son of God? Notice his frenzy now. He's afraid. He's realized his back is to the, to the back, against the wall, and he's got to face the decision. And he goes into Jesus, and he says to him, he says, where are you from? Whence art thou? Jesus said, I'm not going to answer you anymore. You know where I'm from. For this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. And Pilate said, speakest thou not with me? Or unto me, knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Don't you know here that you stand in my courtroom and I'm judging you? Don't you know I have power to, to put you to death? And Jesus put him in his place as you have no power except to be given you of God. Now remind this morning, you may feel like you're powerful. You may feel like you've got the world by the, the tiger by the tail. You may feel that you've got to handle everything. But I'm going to tell you this morning, nobody has power greater than the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee has the greater sin. Trial's over. Verse 12 says, Pilate sought to release him. All he had to do, as the governor says, I found a fault in him. He's free. But he caved in. He caved into the pressure of his peers. He gave into the pressure of religion. 
He gave into the pressure of his family. Even his own wife came to him. She said, I've had, I've had bad dreams about him to say. She says, have nothing to do with that man. Would you notice the, later on in 1 Timothy 6.13, the Apostle Paul makes a statement about the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it says? It says, Christ witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Pilate concedes to the Jews, and verse 12 is troubling. And from therefore, from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If thou let this man go, they could see he was fighting them. If you let him go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever himself maketh the king, himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. And you know what's going on in Pilate's mind at that moment? Is we're almost done. In his right hand is that, that golden ring that was given to him when he became the procurator of all of Judea. Inscribed inside that ring said, The friend of Caesar. What friend do you have that would take you away from Jesus Christ? What friend do you have that's keeping you from making the right decision for Jesus? And he came in, and you'll notice this, he walked out. And we read the rest of verses 13 to 16. He committed him, Jesus, to the Jews. In verse 16, he signed the death warrant for Christ. Delivered he them, delivered he then, then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, two others with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. What did Pontius Pilate do with Jesus? He's the one who sentenced Jesus to death. We read later on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. Would you go down a little bit there? He capitulated to the mob demand, the pressure of the crowd. And this is sad because he had the power to change this. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. At the great white throne judgment, the camcorder of our Lord is going to replay that moment. Pilate wringing his hands with water being poured over it. Can I tell you something this morning? Maybe he washed his hands but he couldn't wash his conscience. I may remind you this morning, that man needed to come under the blood of Jesus Christ for the cleansing of his sins, the washing away of his sins. And you may think you can hide your sin, but God sees it. As he wrung his hands under that water, he says, see ye to it. 
I'm innocent of this just person, but he was not. And I want you to notice as we close this morning the consequence of Pilate's decision. Pilate passed judgment on Jesus. Take him. Crucify him. He's yours. He delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. Pilate's conscience was seared, was hardened. Even as we read through the scriptures, there were subsequent visits by people that brought some, something to his mind that would get, could try to convince him he didn't change. In Acts 4.27, we read something very interesting about this man. It says, as Peter was praying with the church at Acts, they said in the book of Acts, they said, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. You know what, 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 what Paul, Peter was praying in that prayer? He says, now, Lord, and Pontius Pilate and the Jews and all of Israel and the Gentiles, they put Jesus to death. Pilate had an opportunity to get saved. He didn't get saved at that moment. He had an opportunity to change his entire destiny. He did not. He missed his moment of truth. He forsook his opportunity being saved. He asked the question, what is truth? He was looking truth right in the face. And he says, I find no fault in him. And yet because he found no fault in him, he still turned Jesus over. Can I tell you this morning, we can preach sermon after sermon and declare Jesus to you as being crucified and risen from the dead. And we can go after week after week and preach the gospel. But if you don't get saved, you don't ever ask Jesus Christ, as a Savior, your eternal destiny will be just like this man. You'll stand before God one day and realize you rejected every opportunity to get saved. My thought for you this morning is don't reject it. Get saved today. You can't wash your hands of the blood of Christ. Don't throw Jesus under the bus. Don't throw away the opportunity of getting saved. Don't throw away the opportunity of living for God. Hey, if there's ever time we need to live for God, Christian friend, we need to do it now. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. There's no fault in Jesus. There's no fault in his amazing love. There's no fault in his forgiveness. There's no fault in his grace. He takes us just as we are. This is the accepted time. This is the day of salvation. This morning you're here. You're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven. The Savior who stood before Pilate died for your sins 2,000 years ago and offers to you the free, wonderful gift of eternal life. This morning, I pray that you'll consider getting saved today and calling our Savior, Jesus Christ, to save you. I pray today as the disciples had all forsaken him at that moment of time, I pray that as God's disciples today, that we would not forsake our Lord. We take a stand alongside of our Savior and represent him well in the gospel as a testimony in our character.